You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. If you are looking to tap into a cool new niche that you can take your private practice to six figures or more, check out my guy, Derek Collins, at courtmandatedtraining.com. He helps licensed therapists expand their practices by working with court-mandated clients. So if you are burnt out, tired of writing notes, dealing with insurance companies, I highly recommend that you check out what Derek has to offer. He can show you how to get paid cash every day through court-mandated evaluations and classes like anger management, domestic violence, substance use, shoplifting, theft prevention, and more. This niche can be a breakthrough that you have been looking for. Go to courtmandatedtraining.com and watch the free webinar to get started. Remember, that is courtmandatedtraining.com. Hey, everyone. You are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal, joined today by a very good friend, Kieran McMonagall. He is a LMFT in California and Washington. For some reason, I always think he's in Oregon, but that is not true. And, you know, I still don't believe that state exists. But anyway, he is here to talk a little bit about his journey um, as a trans therapist and consultant. And what the industry gets wrong so very often. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Kieran and I have become friends. He came to Ireland to the retreat, Asheville to the retreat. And I'm just really happy that you're here. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here too. Yeah. So tell us about kind of the journey. You know, you and I have talked about it privately. You've talked about it in some Facebook groups because you're a very active member of all therapist Facebook groups like my friend Tara is. I think you both need like therapist Facebook group interventions, but you know, (laughs) you're out in the world and like really advocating obviously for the trans and queer communities and trainer, consultant, therapist, entrepreneur, I just want you to talk to us about your experience and your journey and wherever you want to go with this, I want this to be your story and I don't want to have a lot of uh, ability to dictate that. So yeah, tell us what, how you've gotten to where you're, where you're at right now. Yeah, those are good questions. Um, you know, I, I, ne- I didn't become a therapist to work with the queer and trans community. This wasn't my, uh, wasn't my goal or what I thought would happen. In fact, like, the whole career that I've built for myself is like completely not anything that I would have imagined it being when I started therapy school. Um, I went, I started therapy school when I was young, I was like 23. Um, and so I've been doing this for a long time. And I, I started school like barely out as queer, not really understanding what trans even meant for myself, um, for other people. And so like really my journey of being a therapist has also been my journey of like, gender exploration. So when I work with folks who are like, well, I didn't learn about this in, you know, middle school, I'm like, I didn't either. Like I grew up pretty conservative Catholic. Um, I got confirmed when I was like 20. Uh, And I just, um, in an attempt to just try and figure out who I was and what my community was. And um, so I, I always tell people like, 
if I can learn about this, like you can learn about this. And I had to learn about this, but it became a matter of life and death for me. So what does it take for it to be that high stakes for other therapists? Um, yeah. When you say that, you know, this was a matter of life and death for me. And how can we make it more high stakes for therapists? What do you think the, you know, the common thread is here? It's just like the type of mentality of like, if it doesn't really impact me on a day to day, then it's just not as important. Yeah, I mean, I, I see gender affirming care as suicide prevention, right? Like if we look at the statistics around the um, increased probability of queer and trans youth, adults, people um, committing suicide, killing themselves or being murdered, like it's just astronomically higher than that of our cisgender uh, heterosexual counterparts. And I think like looking at it from like a suicide prevention lens is is super important because all therapists need to be able to work with suicide. All therapists need to be able to know how like the appropriate prevention looks like. And like it starts earlier than people getting suicidal. It starts from when people come out. It starts from when people are just beginning to learn about themselves and and know like I had no idea that trans people existed really at all. I met a couple trans kids when I was younger. And I remember being like, um, this is really, this is something that I, that is going to be part of my life. And I don't know how, and I didn't know exactly what that meant for me at the time. You know, I've always definitely been like, I've always dated boys. Right. So part of like coming out, everyone's coming out with their sexuality when I was younger and I wasn't a lesbian, but I always like kind of wanted to look like one but I was like into boys and I didn't, that, that matchup was so difficult for me to understand. And it wasn't until I realized that like trans men exist and can be into men that I was like, oh, gay trans man, that's me. Um, mm. But it was like- When did you realize hard. that? <laughs> when did I realize that? I mean, I I had a, a little stint where I dated a couple of girls um, at the very beginning of grad school. And I remember just like, like it, it just didn't feel in line with me. And like the girls I dated always like looked like boys. Um, and it was, so I uh, had this opportunity in my internship when I was like, like coming out as queer, started like, you know, cutting my hair short and like dressing more in an affirming way for myself. Um, and I got this, I like went through a really shitty breakup for lack of a better word. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Like it, it was really one of the first times where I was like, I'm just going to like listen to what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And so I volunteered at the summer camp for trans kids. Um, and that like youth have taught me everything I know about gender. Like all of my career has really been like elevating voices of young people, learning about gender from them, learning about my own gender from them. And I kind of walked into this, um, the summer camp and <laughs> met all of these like trans adults and was surrounded by people and was like, oh, these are my people. Like I, and people were like surprised that I wasn't already like out as trans and like had been doing it for a while. I was just like terrified, um, super vulnerable because I was the therapist at this camp. So I felt like I was supposed to know everything. And really I like was in it and learning like all of you. I just happened to be like in my own transition piece at the same time. Um, so really working at the summer camp, like, blew my mind, taught me more than I ever could have learned in grad school about working with queer and trans folks, taught me more about myself than I'd learned ever. Um, I don't know. It was really like mind-blowing, eye-opening, 
um, and, a, and a space where for the first time ever, I was just like listening to me and letting that be true and following it. Hmm. It sounds like that feels really freeing too to have had that experience and to finally like drop in and say, oh, this is this is kind of it for me. This is this is who I am. Absolutely. And that was like the beginning of the journey, right? And I always say that like my clientele picked me. So at that summer camp, like all these kids were like, you need to be like a queer trans therapist. And I was like, one, terrified because like I didn't learn anything about that in grad school. Um, I knew about my own identity, but I was still learning like what that meant for me. Like, am I non-binary? Am I a trans man? What does that mean? How, you know, so I was really in this process of discovering more and more about myself. Um, and then all these kids were coming to me where, who were highly suicidal. And um, I actually got my first therapist job right after grad school because uh, a bunch of the kids that I worked with went to this amazing like queer trans drop-in group called Be Glad. Um, and the therapist who had run it for the last like 10 years was like, I want you to come, like, I need more help. There's more queer and trans kids than I can have on my caseload. And so I got this job. And I remember when I went to my first queer trans training, I was like, yes, they're going to teach me everything I need to know about working with queer and trans folks. And I left that training being like, oh, I know more just because of my experience of being trans, just because of my experience of listening to young people and elevating their voices and coming at it from like, how, how can I support you? What do you need? And learning and really just like sitting in that process with so many young people um, helped create like the, the path I'm on today, the way that I train and teach therapists, the way that I support young people. Um, but again, it wasn't something that like I came in with all of these ideas thinking I knew how the community needed to support it. It really, I came in with this humility being like, I'm learning about myself and how, how do you all want to be supported? Hmm. That humility was probably really important to create connection and rapport with a group of kids who really feel unseen and just under supported and, and stigmatized and, and discriminated against. So being that advocate and being willing to learn and being willing to be open to the experience, do you find yourself in those moments like making the mistakes and saying the wrong things and then having to learn from those experiences? Absolutely. I mean, I think we all as therapists make mistakes. I've made, made mistakes. I've caused harm. I think it's important that we acknowledge that because when we, when we acknowledge that we hold that power and that we can make mistakes, that's the place that we get to learn from. And that's the place we get to do better. Um, and so I'm constantly like um, sitting in session and working to do better. I was just in a session with two non-binary folks the other day and kept using the word guys. And I paused and I was like, hey, I'm noticing I'm using this word. How does that land? And they're both like, we don't like it. And I was like, thank you. And so then I was noticing shifting my language because it's a word I use all the time because they hang out with a bunch of dudes. Uh, and so I like was just noticing and being like in that uncomfort as the person who's really good at this. So like if I am good at this and I make mistakes, like I expect everyone to. The whole point is that we're here to work and do better and acknowledge our mistakes and then also seek consultation with people who have experience so that they can help guide you in a way to do better. So I, you know, I don't expect people to be like, like understand gender and the complexity and how that can look unless they've done this own work themselves. And I encourage, so the first thing I do with therapists when I'm consulting with them is I start to help break down, like, how do they know their gender? What was their gender exploration process look like? Um, because it's not something that was necessarily taught to me when I was growing up. And 
we all have a gender and sexuality, right? There's just dominant genders and dominant sexualities that we're taught are ours until we really look in and say like, what is our gender? What is our sexuality? How do we know that? Um, so, yeah. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, therapists included, brings up a lot of discomfort because I think it's like, you and I have talked about this, therapist groups and people not being able to like own their shit and, and just admit that they were wrong and learn from it. I think that when we don't know about things, when we feel uncomfortable about things, we tend to hold back and not try to learn, not try to be curious because I think there's fearfulness of like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I think there's fearfulness of, I don't know enough about this. So I'm going to come across as like ignorant or, or just something to that extent. Do you feel that way at all? Or do you see that at all? I see that a lot in like, and it's not apples to apples, but like the autistic community right now, right? Of like, even as someone who's an autistic therapist, I don't know all the language for all the neurodivergent and neurodiverse terms out there. And I get it wrong a lot. And people will correct me. And I'm like, okay, that's a great learning experience because I didn't fucking know that. And like, you know, it's just one of those things that is strange to identify, but also like, still not really know all of the ins and outs and innuendos too. Absolutely. And it's a process, right? Like there's no, like, I'm never going to get to a place where I get like some like queer badge of honor that I know everything. Like the whole community is constantly changing and constantly growing. And there's new definitions and new words coming out and new ways that people talk about themselves and their identity. Uh, And so I think even the more that I'm in it, the more that I learn and the more that I don't know, Um, and I think, I mean, even just sitting here and acknowledging that, like, I came out in grad school, like I have shame around that because I think when people think about me or look at me, they, they think about this kid that like must've come out when he was like 11 or 12. But like, no, my story is like really having no, and I grew up in like progressive Seattle, right? Really having no idea that, that this stuff could apply to me. So when you're naming that and you're feeling that shamefulness, almost as if like, if I'm, you know, advocating and training and consulting and looked at as this figure, are you feeling like I don't have enough life experience yet to be looked at as this figure sometimes? Yeah, I mean, totally. I think that um, even with like getting invited onto podcasts and getting like asked to speak in place, like one thing I always say is that like, I don't speak for the whole queer community. Like, I might say something and then another trans dude, another non-binary person, someone else might look at me and be like, nope, that's not in line with me. And that's great. That's the part of the community. That's our intersection, intersectional identities. Like I am like a white trans dude. I'm one of the only marginalized identities that the more I move into my identity, the more power I get, right? The more privilege I get. Like through my marginalized identity, I actually get more power and privilege. Um, And that's been something to like, tussle with for myself like I now occupy like a white man space and so like what's that like for me as somebody that was not socialized that way to now take up that space and how can I use that to help educate people not just about queer trans stuff but also about like racism and how that exists yeah that's really beautifully put and it's it's really a wonderful perspective on this kind of evolving um, experience for you and I know that it hasn't been a pathway that hasn't been full of pain and suffering and struggle. Totally. And, you know, I only want to go as deep as you want to go, but I'm, you know, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit off, off the mic and off the camera. Do you want to talk about 
the experience of transitioning and surgery or in, and just experience within family system or friend groups? Totally. Um, yeah. First, what I was thinking about was just like the mental health component on like what it feels like to grow up in an invalidating society. Like our society teaches that gender looks a certain way and that's the box you have to put yourself in. And so I kept finding myself trying to put myself into a box that just didn't fit. And with that, I found myself just like getting depressed, really high anxiety and not really understanding like why or what it was coming from. Um, and so I talked a lot about how like, I feel like as a therapist, I'm supposed to be this like pedestal of mental health. I'm supposed to be in this like, this thing that people, like I had a client once say something like, oh, I want a bracelet that says, what would Kieran do? And I was like, oh, you don't know want to know what I would do sometimes, right? Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not some pedestal of mental health. Like I have my struggles. I, I have my, um, and it's not something that's like, oh, I had my struggle and now I'm through it and now I'm a, like a therapist. Like I had my struggles when I was a therapist. I was recovering from PTSD when I was a therapist. I've had suicidal thoughts as a therapist, right? I've also done my entire gender transition as a therapist. Um, I actually took a break for about a year or two from doing direct client work and moved into more supervisory roles because of the amount of transphobia that was just being like shot at me by different clients. Um, and it was so hard to sit with. Um, I mean, in general, like I tell kids, like they'll get the power to choose their community. So like I've, I've chosen the people that like the people who stuck around me are the people that really see me and affirm me. Um, my coming out process looked different and I feel like it looked different or weird because I didn't have the language. Right. So like, um, some people in my family were like, well, you didn't tell me that you were gay. You didn't tell me that you were trans. And I was like, I, I didn't know how to say it. I was just trying to figure it out. So I'd bring like a different partner home or I'd start looking a certain way or, you know, but it was really like, I definitely lost some relationships in there and I'm always trying to figure that stuff out. It was not an easy choice for me to medically transition. I think one common misconception is that like, one, all trans people want medical transition. That's not true, but there are very many trans and non-binary and all kinds of gender folks out there that do not want to seek gender affirming care. There's also a lot of cisgender folks that seek gender affirming care. So gender affirming care is also just not for trans people. Um, except there's barriers for trans people and there's not barriers for cis people. That's a different story. Uh, so it was a hard decision for me to start testosterone and to get top surgery. Um, I felt like that there was a loss, like that there was a protection that my chest gave me that was hard for me to let go of. I was, I'm really afraid of permanence. <laughs> it took years for me to even get tattoos, right? Even though I wanted them. Like this idea of like permanent was really hard for me. Um, and actually like, in a way had me feeling my own mortality. Um, and at the same time, interspersed with this is like, I also have epilepsy. So I was getting diagnosed with epilepsy throughout this process. So, um, I mean, this is kind of a funny story, but the night before I had top surgery, I actually had a seizure, my first seizure ever in front of the doctor who was about to give me top surgery. And he was such an affirming doctor that him and the anesthesiologist worked super hard to find a neurologist that I could see the morning before top surgery so I could actually get top surgery to make sure that my brain was going to be okay when I got put under. Um, so that, I mean, that's the definition of affirming care, right? That's access, that's trans affirming, that's gender affirming, um, and like creating access for folks. Um, do you have any questions specifically? I could kind of keep going, but 
No, I want you to keep going, but it sounds like having that doctor in your corner probably at least makes things a little bit more comforting or at least like, okay, I think it's going to be okay, even though this is really fucking scary and really fucking overwhelming. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But keep going with with where this is going, because I think. Yeah, so I got top surgery and like, you know, it's I was really scared to that moment when I woke up. And I was like, going to be different. And like, well, how is that going to feel in my body? What would that be like? Like, part of me always wanted a flat chest, but part of me also felt that my larger chest was a protection, like literally space to cover my heart. And the idea of taking that off and showing the world who I was felt so fucking vulnerable that it was like this visceral, scared reaction. Sure. I think that's also something to highlight because like clients might come in to your like therapy sessions and might be talking about the complexity in that. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that they're not trans or they don't want gender affirming stuff, but there is a fear in there and that's okay. And that might not be for true for everyone. And it was true for me. Um, sure. I imagine there was so, a major gr- grief process with that too, of just, um, you know, anytime we have surgery, but more importantly, when we're having a, a, a major surgery where we're kind of shifting in terms of how we're going to move through the world, I have to imagine there was a ton of grief. One thing. Yes. When I talk to trans folks about surgery in general, like let's take gender affirming surgery aside, in general, surgery is trauma. Like you've had surgery, they go into your body and they're cutting things open and that in and of itself is trauma, right? So it's not just gender affirming that's trauma, like surgery is trauma. So I think that's something just to name. And I say that to my clients. And there's also things called like post-surgery depression that are not about gender, but they're just about things that happen when you have surgery. So all of that on top of going into a place and like having something happen that was going to be how I occupy the world was scary. Um, and there was a huge like, like I had my own grief and it's like grief and euphoria at the same time, which is like an interesting dialectic to hold and letting that be true for me and alive with me um, still, like I'm still sitting with like, what it's like to integrate all of these. I mean, so many of us are working on this, but how do we integrate all these parts of our identity? um, And how do each of those parts take care of each other, right? And like, now this is how I show up and show my gender in the world. And for me, it's aligned, right? For the, I mean, it's, I don't want to say the first time because it's been ongoing for a bunch of years, but I feel more aligned and in like connection with myself. And the, the other piece that really added in to this is like having my gender experience, but then also having my sexuality experience. And so like, I'm a gay dude. I occupy lots of gay man spaces. Um, and there is all kinds of <laughs> transphobia in the gay man world. Um, but I found like a really good group of trans guys who are all gay. I moved down to California just to kind of like be in a community where this this was supported and loved and normal and okay. Um, and I think that was probably like, aside from being on testosterone, aside from top surgery, like being accepted into like a gay leather kink community was much more affirming than anything else I'd ever experienced. It's nice to hear that for you to be able to find that landing spot and to feel like safe in that space too, especially navigating, like you said, even discrimination in the gay community um, and so much transphobia that exists still to this fucking day, right? And we all know mm-hmm. this as therapists, but we see a lot in the therapist community too, which is unfortunate. But it, yeah. it's 
it's really lovely to hear like, okay, this has been a traumatic experience. I'm still questioning a lot about what's going on. I finally find people who I can be myself around and I can feel acceptance around. And I imagine that had to feel like safety and security to some degree as well. Yeah. I mean, there's still, so like now I'm very out as trans. Like I think most people know that I'm trans, but it's also not the first thing that I say about myself when I meet people. Um, so now at times I just look like a short white gay dude. Um, <laughs> and so I hear things that people wouldn't say around trans people. Right. Um, and sometimes I challenge them and sometimes I send my partner in to challenge them when it's not something I have space to do. Um, which is interesting because, you know, finding like a silly story would be like having a cis gay guy attracted to me. And then in another beat, they're talking about um, hating genitalia that I may or may not have. Right. And me being like, well, you were just hitting on me like two seconds ago, bro. And they're like, <laughs> oh, shit. Right. And like challenging people's ideas just by existing and just by being, um, I think is it's just interesting to be able to kind of like see so much and have a different critique that other people might not have because of how they were socialized. Yeah, I like that. I like that like subtle challenge too to make someone like really question, you know, their actions in the moment and have to reconsider like, oh shit, like, yeah, this doesn't even add up if I really thought about it logically, right? Like, and yeah, absolutely. I, I, it seems like it's going to be, you know, ongoing advocacy and challenging in a lot of spaces. And I'm wondering how you really take care of yourself and your energy and just like protect yourself when that is a big part of your value system and who you are and how you show up in the world. Absolutely. Well, I think this speaks also to just like therapists who have some kind of marginalized or some kind of identity that they work with their clients all the time who have a similar shared identity or experience. Um, so I this has shifted a lot throughout my career too. Like when I was just coming out as trans and people were not making an assumption I was trans and I was getting misgendered all the time or people were not using my affirmed name or pronouns, that was so much more exhausting and draining and just what, I mean, I worked with therapists, so they were the ones misgendering me all the time. Um, was much more exhausting and sitting with the clients who are experiencing that same transphobia was so much more exhausting. Now, when I go out into the world, I don't experience that same transphobia all the time because people don't necessarily assume or know that I'm trans and I still hear it. Um, how do I take care of myself? Uh, I mean, in general, I think COVID has shifted a lot. It shifted a lot of big stuff for me. One of the biggest things was realizing that like having a smaller community and a smaller group felt really good for me on where I'm at in my life. Um, so I stick to people that affirm me. I set really strong boundaries. Um, I uh, love my mother dearly and she still at times struggles to gender me properly. She goes through phases. Uh, and re recently she's been a misgendering me phase and I just had to be like, mom, like you have to stop. People are confused around you. Um, and so that's, you know, just setting strong boundaries, showing up with the people that really care about me and see me, um, I see clients and do consultations three days a week. So four days, I'm doing a lot of creative stuff. I'm writing. I'm all over a therapist's Facebook group because I love networking. I love meeting people. Um, I think, I mean, that's how I, and we've talked about this a lot, but I firmly believe that people grow 
um, and learn in relationship to people. We grow in relationship, we heal in relationship. So part of why I'm so connected to therapists is because I want all therapists to be gender affirming. I believe that all therapists need to do this work because we don't know who's trans. We don't know who's coming out. Like it might be like a little baby trans on your caseload and you don't know. Um, and so you might have this four or five year relationship with the client and then they come out. And although I think it's important and awesome and wonderful for trans folks to work with other trans folks, I also believe that there's just not enough trans therapists in the world to support all the trans people. And even if they were, this whole license in state can only see clients in state. There's states out there that so many trans people move away from when we become adults. Um, and so there might not be as many trans therapists in Texas. That doesn't mean there's not as many trans, uh, like young people, trans adults, people coming out, people exploring this. So it's so imperative that all therapists are able to support trans folks um, in their process. So taking care of myself also is part of why I'm a consultant and part of why I'm a coach and part of why I teach because I can see about 15 people a week. That is like my limit when I'm working full-time. Um, and so part of what I do is I like to see all of the therapists that I've supported, right? So like for every therapist I teach, they have a caseload of hopefully 15, but sometimes bigger um, clients. And so I feel like I have a larger impact when I'm teaching the therapy world on how to support queer and trans folks in the intersections of our identities. And that fills me more than just sitting with clients. I love that because it's such a good perspective on that ripple effect, right? Of like, this trickles down. If I help these therapists, they help 15 people, they help 15 people, they have, you know, and it, yeah. it really starts to grow. And therapists can do so much damage if they haven't done the work, even Absolutely. Even if it's sometimes unintentional, it's still damaging. And you're talking about suicidality before you're talking about major depression and depressive episodes and trauma. Therapists can do a, sh a really shitty job of being affirming in, in all sorts of marginalized spaces and intersectionality. And we definitely need to do better. And it's great that, you know, people like Kieran exist out in the world who are trying to do that work. And it's, it's okay to make these mistakes. It's about learning from them. And, you know, if you're just sitting there biting your tongue because you don't want to say the wrong thing or show up the wrong way, I don't think that's useful. And I don't think that serves anyone. And it's really important to be able to take that criticism and not, not take it personally, just learn from it and grow and, and know that if you don't know, you, you don't know, and you have to do the learning, you have to do the education around it. And, um, you know, and I, I see that being a rampant problem in the in the therapy world, not just for, you know, queer and trans folks, but just all sorts of identity, right? And we see it a lot Absolutely. and it's still mind blowing to me, but mm -hmm. maybe it shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, and Another, at the end of the, I, go ahead, sir. I was just going to say one thing I like to tell people a lot is like, if what I'm saying makes you uncomfortable, or if I'm making you uncomfortable, that's awesome. And that's perfect. Because we grow from a place of discomfort. We learn from a place of discomfort. Being comfortable is a privilege. Marginalized, people with marginalized identities do not get to uh, experience comfort if they're having trauma come at them all the time through oppression. And so, great, let's get uncomfortable together. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. And we teach our clients this all the time, right? Like you don't grow in places of comfort. You have to get uncomfortable. And then it's really hard for us to sometimes practice what we preach in this profession, which is it's a, that's a struggle for sure. So 
do the work, do the education, like learn from experiences from people who are actually speaking about it, who have those identities, who have that lived experience. I think it's really important. And to really start doing trainings, like start really immersing yourself in these experiences because grad school doesn't teach us this shit. Like grad school, Mm -mm. you get one cultural diversity class and everything and anything is like built into three hours a week for one month or whatever the case may be. And that's just not sufficient. You know, it's not sufficient to learn about gender and sexuality and, and all of the, all of the struggles of people in the world. Like it's just not sufficient and it's not enough. And we need to be learning all the time and growing all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we didn't even have a class on gender. We had a class called human sexuality where we kind of talked about gender, but like I've said many times, sexuality and gender are totally different. Right. I know you and I have talked about this, but that is something that gets, gets mis, there's a misconception and misunderstanding pretty constantly about gender and sexuality. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I totally think so. I think, um, especially when you're like a cisgender person that hasn't really like taken deep dive into what gender means for you and how you know you're a woman, how you know you're a man, what that means for you, how you experience it, how you show the world it. What are the things that give you gender euphoria? What are the ways you feel affirmed in your gender? Like all of those things can happen, whether you're cis or trans. Um, Absolutely. But if you haven't taken that deep dive, I think that people kind of look like LGBTQ, queer. Oh, that's all under that umbrella. That's gender and sexuality. What really? No, that's just the way we talk about it. And in our community, we have to take a deep dive in it because for many of us, it's a matter of life or death. And so I just invite everyone to take their own deep dive, like, you know, how do you know what your sexuality is? Like, how do you experience sexual attraction? Um, no. It's good advice. And my advice too would be to take trainings from people who are offering them, such as Kieran, like you're presenting at a conference uh, in a couple of weeks, right? And yeah. So what, tell us about that conference real quick, because I think it's really yeah. important and I'm really proud of you for being a part of that. This is an exciting conference that's been um, put on by a therapist named Van. Um, and they're doing, it's the do something identities conference and the entire conference top bottom side to side, all this is completely done by people who have non-cisgender identities. So trans folks, trans folks who may or may not identify as non-binary and non-binary folks are all putting together this, um, uh, like different conferences. Some of it's clinical, some of it's not, but all about like what it means to be, you know, non-binary trans and non-cisgender. It's going to be a really wonderful offering. And, you know, I know you do consultation too for practices and and for therapists in general. I know you're going to be doing one for my group practice. Really excited for that. And I think it's just got to be consistent and constant. It can't just be a one and done, you know, when we're trying to learn and we're trying to grow and we're trying to be more affirming. It's really about putting this stuff into practice. It's really about doing the work and not just showing up as an ally without actually, you know, doing the deeper dive and getting uncomfortable. Yeah. I always say in the beginning of my trainings, like this is the beginning of your journey to becoming a trans-affirming therapist. You know, what what the journey looks like really is starting out with some trainings, but then doing ongoing consultation as you're working with trans folks and bringing these like these clients to a trans therapist and really talking through like, what am I missing? What am I seeing? What am I doing a good job at? Um, I have a whole like family therapy model I've created on how to work with queer and trans kids. Um, and a lot of it focuses on parent coaching because we see clients for 50 minutes a week. They are in their family. They're in their system the rest of that. So 
yes, healing can happen with me, but a lot of what I'm doing is teaching parents, therapists, everyone how to create an affirming environment so that the kid can grow up and know that their identity is okay. Know that how they experience themselves is valid. Um, Know that like they don't have to put themselves in some box. And if they want to, that's awesome. They can also do that. That's beautiful. And talk about, you know, active suicide prevention, right? Like that, that's the way to do it. Those kids need to be in affirming homes and in affirming relationships. And it does start, you know, the parents are so pivotal and I'm glad that you're offering that service. And, and like you said, if we, we don't have enough trans therapists out in the world or in the country, we need to have trans affirming therapists. And that's really important. I live in the Southeast. (laughs) Um, It's not exactly the safest place for a lot of different populations of people. So I have a lot of privilege. I don't ever walk through the street thinking about anything like that. And my wife as a black woman does, and it's just important. Like even when she's looking for a black therapist and there's like three in this, in the area, that's problematic. So we just need really, really, really need the therapist to be doing the work and really, really, you know, it can't just be a one and done. It has to be an ongoing process throughout the rest of your career. Um, anything you want to add any, any last moments or, you know, any offerings or thoughts or feelings about anything that we've talked about, especially for the therapist community and who is mainly listening to this podcast? Yeah. I mean, I think we've said this a lot and ongoing consultation with therapists of lived experience when working with any marginalized identity is huge and important. Um, I think that making sure that you're continuing to do your own work So questioning how you experience these things for yourself can help kind of open up your experience of gender and sexuality for other folks. This isn't about just working with queer and trans folks. This is also about how we talk about identity development for all people Um, and instituting these things into your practice. That's not like, oh, this person kind of looks queer. So now I need to make sure to ask their pronouns. Like how, how is this like, in the like the the system of your practice, how is this there for all people? Um, so that when you know, like little things, like all the time, people are like, "Well, what are your preferred pronouns?" And preferred is a microaggression, right? It's just what are your pronouns? We wouldn't look at somebody and be like, "Oh, I wonder what their preferred pronouns are." Like, not a preference; they're just pronouns. Similar things with like the word names. Like, I just got a a simple practice um, survey about how we should handle preferred names. And I was just like, just put name and then legal name. And if they match, cool. And if they don't, cool. Because people use different names for different reasons, whether they're trans or not. And so again, putting those words like preference, like, no, this is who we are. And this is how I'm showing the world who I am. I love that. And that's a great, great way to end this um, conversation. And I just want to say that it's been really wonderful connecting with you. You know, if I never took the BART from San Francisco to Oakland, uh, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. And I think that I'm really, I'm really glad that we did that and have remained friends. And and I really am excited to see where your journey takes you because I know you've got a lot of cool things in the works. Speaking about a lot of cool things in the works, tell them where they can find you because people need to be hiring you. You need to be doing the coaching and consulting that you're developing and creating. Mm -hmm. So I'm developing a bunch of coaching and consulting things. I'm doing training. So I want to work with group practices. I want to work with individual therapists. 
Um, if you have a small group of therapist friends or a consult group that you already have, you can invite me in and I can help you guys with some consultation there. You can create your own groups. I'm going to be doing um, uh, a consultation group around working with trans folks. So that'll be coming out probably in the fall. And I'll want folks um, signing up for that. I also have a group that I'm always continuing to try and create around uh, for trans clinicians working with trans folks. And then um, I'm available for individual consultation as well. Um, I really want to get out there and kind of help and do trainings. I do trainings and speak at conferences. Um, I've also worked like in the school system with different independent schools coming out and doing a lot of parent coaching. So if you have parent groups, I'm happy to come and do parent coaching around that. Um, and just really trying to figure out how I can help everyone make all of their practices trans and gender affirming. Even if you don't think you have any trans clients in that are coming to your practice currently, that's okay. I am available to help kind of show you how how to make a place feel safer for a trans person to come to so you can have trans clients because they're out there and they need services yeah lots of wonderful wonderful services one important oh, friend, tell you my website yeah that <laughs> <laughs> my website's redcapetherapy.com and it's not because i think i'm a superhero it's based off of a poem by a gibson where they say um, I've never met a heavy heart that wasn't a phone booth with a red cape inside. Love it. And that will be in the show notes too for everyone so that you can find Kieran's information and reach out, do some hiring, get some coaching, get some consultation, get some training. It was really great to have you on and I hope it wasn't as uh, overwhelming as we talked about. <laughs> great. Thank you. And for everyone listening, new episodes of the All Things Private Practice podcast come out every Sunday morning. You can find it on every major platform that you listen to podcasts, like, download, subscribe, and share. And we will see you next week. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.